Okay, could we please have the panel up? Um, is Lorraine here this week? I don't know if she is. No, Lorraine, okay. Yeah, Mum, come on, come be in it. Yeah, we want Mum involved, don't we? Yeah. Which team was Lorraine on before? Was she on your team? I think she was over here. Okay, you can go with the team with... Is Avril on this team? You go with Avril. Go on. Okay, right, and we've handed out some questions to help the young people. Put your hands up if you've not got one and you want one. Okay, you've all got them. Okay, Hannah needs one over there, Abs. And Emma needs one over here. So Abs have got them. If you need pens, anyone need pens? Put your hands right up so I can see down hands. Okay. Who's got pens? We need pen, pen, pen. Three, three people need pens. Jack, there's some pens in my bag. You can get them to them. Okay, right. So I think, I think based on the calculation last, from last week, this team's one point ahead. Um, so we've got three more to go. And same, we don't have buzzers this time. So what you have to do is make your own buzz. What, what's your... Okay, good. And your buzz noise? <laughs> All right, you're going away with my prop bag. I need the pens. Okay. Okay, next time bring your own pens. Okay, right. graduation before when, when the actual Prime Minister has been given the degree. Isn't that amazing? Look at, oh, he's done so well. Hasn't Ryan done so well to do such a complicated degree? Oh, I'm just getting a picture. Yeah, it's the same degree that you did, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he, he got a first. What did you get? You got a 2-2. Two, two, two. Oh, well, he's done very well. He's, he's very qualified, isn't he? I mean, he'd probably be able to get that job that you wanted. Um, oh, he's doing so well. I, I just can't go, quite get a shot. Can you get a shot from there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> First with the buzzer. He was finding it hard to celebrate with someone else's success, also comparing himself against them. Excellent. Okay, very good. Okay, so this, this team's now two points up, Jamie. You've got to keep score for me. Okay, and we got the PowerPoint there. Let's just confirm. Just. Yep, and next one. Yep, yep. Okay, so I can celebrate someone else's success, or I see other success as a threat. So well done. Got the point there. So you, re you remember why he's talking, you've got to be thinking of personal examples, yeah? To emphasise the points. 
So they got they got a point for that or two points for that. When do they do the person example? After this bit. Okay. All right. All right. <sighs> yes. I want to jump back to the previous book. Um, and I want to just remind you of what David said when he saw um, that Solomon had been anointed. He bowed his head in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. He was worshipping God and thanking God because of the absolute thrill of seeing somebody taking on, even in his lifetime, taking on from where he was. As compared with the attitude of Saul, if you remember, Saul persecuted, pursued and persecuted David, really for the totality of the whole story, for the life, uh, because he saw him as a threat and he was jealous of him. And this whole issue of uh, seeing, I, you've heard the, the saying, success is having successors. Um, that, is, that is really the place of security, the place of resting in the goodness and the, the heart of God, as against the threat and fear. Um, we spoke last time about uh, Absalom and uh, a popular teaching about the Absalom spirit, which was in part, I'm convinced, motivated by insecurity of those who were in leadership at the time, in spite of the issues that they were trying to deal with in talking about the Absalom spirit. I remember, uh, and I've told you about this before, I was in Zimbabwe, and we'd just been doing some big meeting. I had somebody else with me that was, hadn't been before. And we were in a car and going somewhere, and they said to this other person, um, they said, oh, this is very good. Would you come to this certain event? And I thought, what a cheek. I mean, he's just, he's just a junior. I mean, he, he, he doesn't fancy asking him rather than me. And for about 15 seconds, I went through this thing. And then something hit me and I thought, dear God, I thought I'd dealt with that. That sense of being threatened, that, that jealousy, that, that uh, who's usurping my position. And I called out to God. I said, God, I don't want that grot, that stuff, that mess, that nasty stuff in my life. I want that thing dealt with. I thought it was, and it's reared its head again. And by the grace of God, I want that thing dealt with. I don't want to dwell in that world. God dealt with it there and then. The whole episode was probably not more than about 30 seconds. But boy, but to be free of that and not to be caught up in that stuff. There's a place of rest, a place of security. 
later on um, when uh, others felt there was a, an attempt to take on a greater leadership in the whole network. I hadn't even seen it and certainly wasn't bothered by it because I know that I'm doing the thing that God's given me to do. I don't have to protect that uh, because God dealt with that thing in the back of that car at that time. Now I've taken a little longer to tell this story simply because I'm merciful to these people on the panels and I wanted to give them that opportunity. Let them not think that this mercy is going to continue in this way. Okay, so first buzzer with the story. Um, well, because uh, I've had to think quite a long way back for this. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone else has been through the delights of internal appointments at their places of work. You know when there's an opportunity for promotion and lots of you go for it and you know the other people that have gone for it and you don't get it and they do. Well, I just, I know that in me that excited quite a few little um, uh, attitudes and I just had to offer it back to God and, uh, and the thing is that God has seen fit to, to move me on. At, at times in my place of work, but there have been other times when I've stayed put and where I, where I needed to be. And it's about resting in that and knowing that it's about him, not me. It's not about my achievement, but it's about me being able to serve him effectively in those different roles. So, Excellent. You guys got anything? Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a confession. No, as I was watching the, the like a drama there, I remembered a time back in, I think about 2001, when um, it's just between the transition of two jobs. Uh, I was doing a bit of casual waiting. I just arrived in the UK. And I was going for two jobs, and one didn't come true, and the other one came true, but I felt God was saying not, not to go for that. So I still stayed doing casual waiting. And I felt, well, yeah, you know, I listened to God and celebrating walking in obedience and feeling comfortable in that. But then a mate of mine just graduated from university and he applied for three jobs and he got all three. And they were giving him salaries exceeding what he asked for. I was like, this is not fear, God. <laughs> it's almost like I forgot the celebration I had a few weeks before. And then um, Katie and we got married and she came up and there's an exam to practice veterinary medicine here and it's only available once per year. We got married in June. So she came <laughs> just after she had to wait 10 months for it. Then his wife came up he got married, and then she got two job offers as well. So I was like, God, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? So, um, no, I was looking at that. It was just that sometimes you could think that you have something that you rejoice in, in God for, but when you see your brother also has a breakthrough, you almost immediately want to compare it with what the victory that you have and um, kind of devalue the fact that God is moving in the both situations and he's the one who gives the increase. Okay, excellent. So, here we go with the next one.
Okay. Is it placing value and status and, yeah, that sort of thing? Very good. I think they tie it level on that one there. Yeah. yeah The, um, the idea of this is to help us actually uh, engage with the principle, with the teaching, and apply it personally. Um, the, the idea is not that you apply it to somebody else, but you apply it to yourself. Ah, yes, yeah. <laughs> so my security is based on what God on who God is and what he's done. Um, I know that I'm accepted by him. So if I have a suggestion and it's not accepted, I don't have to be crushed. Um, focus on truth and not the devil's lies. Uh, we choose basically which voice we're going to believe. We come back to something I was saying earlier on. Um, I will not fear. God is for me. Who can be against me? On the other side, the basis of security is in my role or position um, and what I, suggestions and what I can get, image I can portray. And in that situation, I'm living with a constant fear of not being accepted, fear of rejection. It can lead me to making lots of noise, uh, striving to be accepted, to be noticed, trying too hard. Um, kind of like a child playing up to get attention. Uh, it can be expressed in uh, a deep need to follow the fashion uh, or purposely not following it. Um, it could actually be expressed in not suggesting things because I don't want to be crushed if the thing I suggest is rejected. And that can be in simple things. What should we do today? Uh, what, you know, a group of us going to do something. What, 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 what should we, I, well, I won't say anything because, you know, if I, what I say they don't like, then I won't like it and I shall feel bad about it. It can have some deep far-reaching effects. We are talking about God and his people and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking, we don't believe in here's a set of principles or values and try your best and live by them and, and you know, you'll probably do all right. We believe in God's divine power. Once we accept the truth and say, yes, I want to be free. I do not want to be jealous. I do not want to be insecure. I, do want to be not, I don't want to be 
unforgiving. Whatever the issue is, I make a choice and then I am dependent and recognize I have at my disposal the power of Almighty God because we believe that we walk as a supernatural people with a different life source. It's not a matter of trying hard. It's a matter of resting and yielding and, and stopping resisting anything about what God wants. It's simply obeying by his grace. We have no other message. It's not a message of try hard. It's not a message of learn the principles. It's a message of hear what God says and choose to obey and receive from him the amazing power of change. We're talking about here something which is fundamental and far-reaching in the totality of our lives. It kind of, it reaches into every area of life. A place of security in God has an effect. It will affect how you are with your children, with your friends, with your relatives, with the people you work with. Because it affects you as a person. God is calling forth and developing a people who reflect what he's like. Show forth who he is. Demonstrate his power in the change that it works in our lives. When we think about David, when he faced Goliath, he knew... God could rescue him because he'd done the same thing with lions and bears and his confidence was in God. It was just a place, he wasn't looking. In fact, if you remember the story, uh, they, they, they're telling him what, would, what he would gain if he was to face the giant. But what they were expressing was uh, all material things or positional things. Uh, they were talking a different language. His rest was in God. His confidence was in God. In this story, we see this highly renowned, like, um, advisor of the kings, prophetic advisor of the kings. Uh, Ahithophel is his name. I prefer to shorten that. And uh, he's got this tragic story where... Uh, David uh, sends his guy in, uh, infiltrates, basically uh, undermines the council that this renowned, um, I don't know, it would be like a, a top-level advisor, somebody who you do what he says, that kind of thing. And when this guy saw Ahithophel, when he saw that his advice was not taken, he goes home, puts his affairs in order and hangs himself. What does that say? It says simply that in point of fact, his identity, his focus was on his level of acceptance, his position and the recognition of that and the acceptance of that. A tragic situation. All right. Okay, Avril. Um, a wee while ago, I was invited to be part of this subgroup for a kind of London board. And 
when I saw everybody else that had been invited to be part of it, I just found myself thinking, oh my goodness, like these are like people that really know what they're talking about. And I phoned the guy that invited me and I said, look, I think you might have made a mistake. I just don't, I'm just not very ex expert in this area. And he said, to be honest, Avril, I know that, but I just, I mean, <laughs> he, he said, but I just, I just want you there because I like the way you think and I think you're, you'll challenge the group and I just want you part of it. So I go to this thing thinking, oh, he wants me because I'm just doing you know, the way I think. And as everybody started to introduce themselves, I, got, I could feel myself getting more and more traumatized and thinking, what the heck am I going to say? And when I eventually, when it came to me, I just, I mean, even now I cringe about it. I went into this big explanation of why I shouldn't be there and how unqualified I was. And I have no idea. And it was just like, when I, everybody's just going to look at me as if to say, what? And, and it was about, because I felt so insecure, I had to be seen in some other kind of light rather than just introducing myself, saying where I was from and leaving it at that. And it was just entirely out of intimidation and insecurity and actually in the end was fairly embarrassing. <laughs> I'm just interested to see how you introduce yourself. <laughs> Prime Minister of Luxembourg or something. You guys got something? <laughs> It was some months ago on a Sunday, I think we were talking about how to recognise the enemy's voice. And I think we probably prayed that we would be able to recognise the enemy's voice better. And then on the Monday, I went up to school and dropped the children off. And I was waiting to take Elise to nursery, and you have to wait about 20 minutes longer. And I was standing there thinking, I don't really know anyone, don't got anyone to talk to. And I took her in, um, and then I was walking back, and I really felt like the enemy was saying, Nobody likes you. You've got no friends. And it was just such a load of lies. I recognised it quite quickly and just thought, that, that's a load of rubbish. But I actually felt it was important to go back. So I went back to the gate and I just I managed to chat to someone. We had quite an interesting conversation. And it just really it just felt like it was important to go back and say, that's rubbish. I'm not taking that. Uh, mine's a bit similar to Avril's, really. Um, sometimes I have to go to meetings... Um, um, through the work in open doors that I do and, and usually all the other people there are professionals and so you have to go around the table introducing yourself a bit like Avril's meeting and it's like I'm so-and-so I'm the clinical psychologist I'm so-and-so I'm the lead social worker I'm the community nurse and then it's me and I say um and I've always felt this pressure to kind of like you know make my role sound as though it's something professional but actually, the interesting thing is, when I say what we do in Open Doors, time and time again, people say, that sounds really interesting. I can think of somebody I could refer. And I think it's just knowing that I just need to be secure in what God's given me to do. I don't have to try to be anything other than who I am. It is a bit of a work in progress. But. Um, I was just thinking while I was looking at it, there's a story that, that I've not shared for myself. The, um, sometimes, like a child playing up to get attention, would be an area that I would sometimes fall into. Uh, during my year out, I went to New Hampshire for a, a couple of months, and I was involved in setting up a youth group, and I was like, superhero from London comes to revolutionize our youth group. I got to speak to the church. Very, it was very exciting. Everyone found, found me very interesting, which was really nice. Then I went from there to Trinidad, where I was back seat 
in everything. And even though I was like the only white guy there, that, that any time I tried to speak, I'd get my words jumbled up, I would make a complete idiot of myself. And on top of that, I'm, I'd always wanted to be out of my, my family's shadows. And New Hampshire, they didn't know any of my brothers. But when I get to Trinidad, Nathan had been there for, for how many ever months before me. Um, <laughs> and, and someone said to me, oh man, when your brother was here, Nathan, he took this island by storm. Everyone loved him. You're very different to him, aren't you? <laughs> and there, there was a slight crushing of me that was going on at that point, but it was exactly what was needed. And I'd always wanted to be the... I wanted to be cool, I wanted to, to dress cool, I wanted to, to do cool stuff. Um, and I remember, like, at that point I thought, okay, all right, I need to either compete now and become the attention wherever I am. I've got to be the loudest, the funniest, um, the, the most outgoing person, or there's possibly another option. And at that point, God gave me a picture of, of an ant. And... Like, I looked at this, this ant and the, the ant that was next to him, and I felt God ask me the question, how do you tell this ant from the ant that's next to him? And I said, well, you can't. They look exactly the same. Then the next question came, do you think he cares? I was like, well, of course he doesn't care. He's an ant. And then God said, why doesn't he care? And then it was like my view zoomed out, and I saw this trail of ants carrying things to the kingdom. And I thought, that's why he doesn't care, because he's about something more important He's about building the kingdom and not being, being different in himself. And that, for me, was revolutionary in the way that I managed myself, that I don't, don't need to be the loudest. I don't need to be um, acting like a child to get attention because I know what I'm about is more important. I'm not saying that Nathan does, obviously. Okay, buzzer first. <laughs> all right, all right. The, the, so these are first, okay. Okay, he gives the first chance. But the first chance has to go to Dawn. It's... um. Allowing what you do to be influenced by someone else's response rather than doing what you know to be right. It's a very good answer, but it's not actually what I've put down it has to be. <laughs> You've been rejected by something the first time, so you shy away from offering again and... You become consuming it. You become consuming your rejection that you miss other opportunities to serve and to... Yeah, that's probably close. And not that that was wrong, it's just not what I've got written down, and then I can't change the PowerPoint midway. 
so the point was <laughs> that we're, when we're in, we're in difficulty, we don't necessarily have to be passive about it. We're dependent on God and we're a co-worker with him. What can happen, though, when we're insecure, we become wrapped up. Pretty much what Hans was saying in terms of you become passive. You, paralysis sets in your anxiety. So in that situation, Jack was so anxious and so insecure about being publicly humiliated or, or whatever that he couldn't act he just set into kind of despair, and that despair took over. Instead of saying, God, you're, you're king. I'm a servant to you any way I can be involved still. Thank you. You understand the real value in this. Uh, as in anything to do with looking into God's word, is asking God the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and say, is there something here for me? If not, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, but it would be a tragedy if there was something and that failure to be open for the application, for the searching of your heart, was missed. And the purpose, remember, of all teaching is change, not just information. And we're certainly not interested in just entertaining. So... We're looking at uh, this issue of passivity. Interesting in this story here, you remember um, the issue comes down, of course, always to does God want me to act or wait? Is there anything I can do um, that God gives me to do? Uh, as against uh, a life like a ship tossed around by the seas instead of being anchored into him. Um, there is a great, there's an actuality of passivity which comes as a result of this issue of lack of security in God. And we have an amazing example in the story. Remember we talked about David uh, having had his son Absalom uh, usurp the position to the point that he realized that they had to escape uh, and had to flee from uh, Jerusalem and um, from the seat of, of kingship there. And David is essentially on the run and various people help along the way. Others did the opposite. You remember the guy coming along throwing stones and curses and things like that. He's in a pretty reduced state. Uh, this is the king used to being in the palace in charge and so on and so forth, <coughs> now actually on the run. And although he's doing that, in a sense you could say, um, what else could he do? There's a confidence in God that will allow him, a rest in God that will permit him to actually take some action. And he sends his trusted servant, uh, Hushai, um, to, uh, to infiltrate and to bring some, a different dimension into the corridors of power that now operate under Absalom back there in Jerusalem. He's been betrayed. He's been ripped off, if you like, by those that were 
his senior advisors standing with him. Many of them have gone over uh, to Absalom. But there's this guy that's with him. And although he's on the run, he's not in a totally passive situation. He's still prepared to do something simply because uh, his trust is in God. He's dependent on God and he is prepared to continue to be a co-worker with him. Uh, to actually do the thing that God gives him to do, as against sit back in a, a, a condition of defeated um, paralysis. And so, having heard that all the hearts of the people with Absalom, he recognizes on the one hand that he has to go, but on the other hand that God is with him, and sends this guy back. And interestingly, it's this guy, uh, Hushai, that infiltrates, and there's a whole story about how it happens, uh, and how the message gets back, <coughs> and the messengers have to hide in a well, and, and uh, somebody protects them so they don't get caught. I mean, it's a whole amazing story. But the essence is this that David is still prepared to take on this high-ranking advisor, this Ahithophel, um, and undermine what he's doing. He's not prepared to simply um, sit in a, in a glorious paralysis because he's confident, his, his confidence is in God and what God has done. And so he has courage to take on, through this advisor, this uh, high-ranking uh, well-renowned. He's actually sending somebody to go against what is normal, what is accepted, what is established, and what is, generally speaking, the way. And from this place of apparent defeat on the run, and yet he's still able to come against something which is so apparently strong and entrenched and established and successful. Why? You see, he didn't have to rest in what was apparent. His rest was in God himself. His security was in God. There's been um, times where I've had opportunity to reach out to people um, and sometimes people don't particularly like that and so they don't, they don't want your phone calls or your, your um, invitations to dinner or whatever it may be. And at, at different times I've taken that kind of as a rejection and it stopped me then reaching out to them and caused me to be passive. Um, but then there'll be other times when I've been able to get beyond myself and my own hurt and been able to actually kind of rescue people at real key times, um, yeah, and find a way through. I said I gave one to Dawn. <laughs> she, come on. She's prompting me. <laughs> um, there have been times throughout my life where people have let me down and um, you have to make a decision are you gonna get on and 
dust yourself down and try again. I can remember one particular time I said to John, don't ever ask me to do that again. I can't do that again. It's just too painful. And we had to make a decision before God that basically that wasn't an option. We had to, again, love and know that we would be let down. And, but that's all part of the big picture for us. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we have to do. So th those are the, the seven symptoms. And just, just remember, the purpose of us looking at this is because we want God to set us free. That the way to live outside of these symptoms of insecurity is a better way of living. And that's what he wants to do. So if there's things that you're seeing, God, God wants to, to help heal us from that. Just like what Mum and, and Nathan were saying, that there's times where there's, there's hurts that have come in that have caused an insecurity to, to kind of to grow. But God wants to come and set us free. Points. Jamie, who do you reckon won? Okay. And Jamie decided. No arguing with the judge. Well done, Nathan. Your team won. Phil, your team lost. Safest place is in the will of God. It's not about whether it feels safe. It's the fact that it is safe. Safest place is submission to God and trusting Him. Not whether it looks good, feels good, it is good. We have to decide. We're going to live by feelings. That's not the same as living by faith. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we live under God's word, a place of great security, a place of great peace. The Holy Spirit is there to help us discern. I want to just quickly mention two or three other things, uh, and you'll find these. I'm not going to go through the story now <coughs> because of the, um, the time, and there's a lot of story for the points that we want. It's in the chapters, the remaining chapters of Second Samuel. Uh, if you care to read it if you're not already done so it's 18 to 24 after we're going on a little bit and uh, as a result of the uh, corrupting of the information uh, essentially uh, David and those with him are placed in an advantageous position for the next battle uh, when Absalom comes and essentially they win the battle and uh, in the course of that Absalom is killed a uh, very dramatic way in which he dies as well I don't think I'll tell you that because if I kind of tell you that that might stop you reading it but if I don't tell you I mean it was the most unusual way of dying you know, it, it, I'm just kind of... <laughs> I mean, you've never heard of a death like this. I mean, it is beyond imagination. But you can read about it. 
Interestingly, there's then a, a, a kind of argument that goes on about who's going to take the news of the battle, most especially the death of Absalom to the king. And they decide one guy's going to do it, but somebody else is very, very keen. I'm not even going to bother with all the names at the moment. In the end, the guy that is chosen sent off, but guy number two says, but, but let me go. You know, I, I'd like to go as well. So he does, and he outruns the first guy, gets to the king with the news. The issue is here that he had a, a soulish desire. He wanted to be the person that brought the news. And the truth of the matter was, when it came to it, he didn't have the correct message, and he wasn't prepared, he didn't have the courage to state the truth, exactly how it was. And so he sort of fluffed around it. Um, he kind of said, well, you can read it. Here's the point. His soulish desire, his grabbing something for himself, meant that he put himself in a place that he was not equipped to be. Oh, he got by his fast running and by his determination... He got what he wanted to do, but he didn't have what was necessary to do it. Didn't have the courage. Didn't even have the heart of the message. We have to be very careful that we have the heart of the message, not just what we think we have. If he'd have stayed longer, maybe he would have picked up something more about what it was really about. The accuracy of the fact and the heart of the message. Then after that, and things begin to be restored, um, our old mate Meth appears. Remember, Meth is short for... Yeah. <laughs> um, and you may recall, I don't want to get into too much detail, but he had this person, Zebra, who was looking after him, and Zebra had come to David and basically said meth's gone over to the other side and so on and so forth anyway meth reappears and then there's David is already in the light of the accusation that meth has gone over to the other side he basically says okay Ziva all the stuff that was going to be meth's becomes yours now you get this strange situation and you kind of feel that David's saying oh, I don't know split it between you I'm sure that wasn't the case, but you, you get that feel as you read it. He's saying, all right, well, look, I don't know, half each of, of the stuff that was going to be all for meth. At which point, and this is very revealing, meth turns back and says, actually, let him have it all. I don't want to take or hold on to anything. As I read that, I thought, wow. This same guy this member of the household of Saul, son of Jonathan, who 
had gone through in a very disadvantaged way had learnt that hanging on to anything, whether it be by argument or debate, trying to get hold of something wasn't for him to do. He would prefer to trust himself to David and trust himself to God and say, okay, let him have it. I'm not trying to hold on to something. I am dependent on being part of this household and part of the children of God and trusting him. <coughs> in the next chapter, in chapter 20, we read about Joab. Joab very clearly, all the way through, <coughs> was ruthless in guarding his position. He's the guy that kills Amasa, who had been appointed the head of the army. The only point I want to make as we look at that is here was somebody... Uh, very committed to hanging on to what he'd got, to hanging on to his position, uh, to uh, his status, uh, to the role that he had, and would do, in the end, anything to guard his position and to protect his place. And it led him into some horrific stuff. God does not call us. Do you remember what we looked at um, before way back when we were looking at this. If you hold it like that, it can be, if God wants it, he can take it. If you hold it like that, and Jack wants to take it, he's got to put a lot of, or bend fingers back, or whatever. But you know, Jack tries to take that, and God has, get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> And God has put it there. He could never take it. You try and take that, there's an invisible force. <laughs> you can't have it. We can afford to hold what God's given us in a very open-handed way. Because nothing... And no one can take that. That's very, very secure. Huh? Finally, I couldn't leave the book without just referring to this. David, after the battles, decides that he, he, he wants to sacrifice to God. This is in chapter 24. And he decides there's a particular place a particular piece of land that belongs to somebody else and it's to be uh, given over for this sacrifice. And as he decides upon it, the owner of the land says, okay, I'll give it to you. And he said, no, no, I'll pay for it because I don't want to give to God something that costs nothing. My giving to God my sacrifice has to be with cost. And I think that, in a sense, that sums the whole thing up. Our giving to God has to be with cost. It has to be with laying down our life. It has to be with sacrificing of ourselves. Not holding on to, not grabbing, not seeking to retain 
whatever it be, but say, Lord, I give to you. Yeah, the cost is my decrease and his increase. I don't suppose for a moment that many of us would have to walk the course that Keith Marsh has walked. But I like the outcome. I think the outcome puts him in a very, very significant place. Because the outcome carries the sweet fragrance of Christ. Remember, our desire is that we might be like him. Or that I might know him. Fellowship is his sufferings. That's really the goal, that we reflect his glory. We move from one degree of glory to another. Let's come back now. Take a little time to respond to God and worship and to be open to him to apply these things as we allow the Holy Spirit to search through our hearts and have his way uh, amongst us as being the most significant thing that could ever take place.